This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, a very good morning to you. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's six in the morning on Tuesday, the 28th of June. I'm Philip C. And in the studio today with me is the ever effervescent Wong Xiaoning. Really? I didn't know I was that bubbly, even at <laughs> six in the morning. I thought I was a bit of a grumpy... Woman, grumpy woman. No, yeah, grumpy you don't. Woman. You definitely don't look like a grumpy woman. I mean, of course, yesterday's sing it dress was a bit weird, but never mind. <laughs> put, it, put that aside. Hello, that was fashion, and just like today, I'm also fashionably dressed. Before you criticize my look, <laughs> well, I'm not a paragon for taste for sure because I hardly wear uh, as well as you do. I mean, consider my Jesus sandals as an example. <laughs> And your love for brown t-shirts, which I don't understand. But never mind, we have a very packed show as usual. We have a great show, exactly, because at 7.15 we speak to Carmelo Felito. He's the CEO of the Centre for Market and Education on what does an 80 billion ringgit subsidy bill mean for the government's coffers and does the extension on the price ceiling of chicken bring more good than harm? We can barely keep up, right? It's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. Uh, and now we apparently a new price will be determined for chickens very soon. 11 ringgit, 12 ringgit, that's the big question mark. Okay, watch this space. Uh, in the meantime, at 7.30, we're going to be talking about supply chain crunch in the electric vehicle sector with many experiencing a 10-month waiting list. And we get the perspective of Professor Laura Dana Paduran. She's the Senior Associate Dean at the Asia School of Business. So if you're looking for the Tesla, perhaps you may want to stick with your internal combustion engine for some time. You can't even get that. That's a problem. <laughs> the waiting list for my V's are a few months. Exactly. Well, this is also tough, right, with the SST exemption also being rolled out. And we continue the conversation at 7.45 on the recent announcement by our Prime Minister that the government over the weekend will be reviewing the current bankruptcy threshold in a bid to address rising bankruptcy among youth. Idam, Idam Idris, Director and Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory, shares his views. Now, all this and more on today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Tainted Love by Gloria Jones. What an awesome song. This is The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And with me today, this morning, is Wong Shaoning. Now, we, as, as part of the usual ritual at 6am, we go through very interesting articles. I picked this one from Bloomberg. It's, it, it's headline, Why You Should Quit Your Job After 10 Years. Resonates with me. Does it resonate with you, Shaoning? Um, mine is times two. Yours times is, two. Yours is divided by two, is it? Well, I <laughs> or think... Or divided by three. It's divided by four or five, <laughs> I think. Okay, this is the in relation to the quitting your job, right? That's right. Okay. So I think this is the... The debate is labour experts say actually a radical career shift every decade or two can be good for both workers and employers. And I tend to agree with that. I mean, I'm, I just turned 42. I've really had you know, 20 years of working experience so far. And as you're right, as I enter my second decade, that's also when I started getting involved with BFM. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's, for me, a bit of the radical shift yeah. that I took. I mean, it doesn't get more radical than speaking to the wider audience with a, through a mic, right? That's through right. Through the airwaves. Yeah. And I think I, I, I become better out of it. You know, just taking that shift. Better on my, air or better for it? Better for it, definitely. <laughs> definitely not better on air based on what I've been, how my performance has been so far. But definitely better for it. Like my perspective of life, how I look at things, has really very much shaped my, my, my view of life as well. Yeah, I think um, when I look at this article, the, the rationals, the rational for it is, is so true, right? Because we all just need that little bit of a reset. 
And sometimes you you come to a point in your career where you think, I really, you know, I enjoy what I do. It's not a bad place where I work, but it doesn't, you know, boring for Marie Kondo, it doesn't necessarily spark the same joy that it used to 10, 20 years ago. Mm. And I think it's just human nature that we're always looking for new things. Some people know, but for a lot of people, they want some excitement. They want a change in life. And because so much of our work, our life is defined by our work because of the number of hours that we do and who we are, then we look to our career and think, hey, what should we do next? And then think that question of what do we next puzzles a lot of people in their late 30s, early 40s. It gets very dangerous, I think, when work forms a very intrinsic part of your identity. But it's very hard to change that, it, isn't it? It's very hard to, but sometimes you must separate yourself and decouple it. And that's why I think it's a, it's a good uh thing to shift every 10 years just to step back from that whole identity you've you've you kind of created in the past 10 years and say look are there other ways of identifying or or defining myself right so i think that's very important so you don't get too weighted also it's actually very good for companies that you don't have employers employees that are kind of wedded to one yeah. thought and process drifting, literally, literally and drifting. just drifting to their careers but let's say you're on the other side and you want that career change mm. you want some excitement in your life and you look back and think, okay, how do I achieve this, right? And I think people do, I, I get that question quite a bit because I, I came from fund management for like 20 years and suddenly I'm on air, right? I'm working at BFM. Mm. I come in at five every day, report daily news, market news, politics. You know, how, how did you make that switch, Xiaoning? I, I would say firstly, I had a very forgiving employer. BFM mm. is a, a place which encourages you to, to, to take that time. Yes. To make that transition. Because honestly, nobody's Patrick Teo. There's only one Patrick Teo where you're come on end, mm. you're a natural talent, right? And you sound mm. great from day one. So there's that learning curve. But I think also the skill sets, I think I want to remind everybody, the skills that you learn in your first career, second career, they never go to waste. They never. You, never. So, sure. so you've got to find a way to kind of pivot yourself and think, okay, what I did in fund management is still relevant to what I'm doing on radio, right? Because I'm talking about markets, I'm talking about economics. There is some analysis involved in what I say. It's just I have to think out of the box now. Any skill can be applied. And, and I think that's what we all have to do, right? In every experience we have, good or bad, you can always take something away yes. from it. That's for sure. But you know, one thing I really like about BFM is that they encourage staff to go for these paid sabbaticals every mm. five years. Perhaps there's also a, a, create, a creating that space for you to do a bit of soul searching to understand where you are at in your career, where you want to go next. Because for me, if you stay in one place very long, you end up rising up, you take up managerial positions and many people just find it super leche, right? To do reporting, mm. to update boards, to present and stuff to management and they just lose the whole getting stuff done yeah. and doing operational work and for many people they just don't like doing yes. management work and even though you might be working for a very large MNC there's a certain part of you which should still remain very entrepreneurial that's when new ideas mm. are generated right and you come up with maybe different solutions to same problems. But you lose that sometimes when you just get stuck in the rut, just doing the day-to-day -day without having time to think and think strategically. So that's the sometimes that's the problem. The step backs. The step backs. But I, going back to this whole career change, I think they, they require honestly some... You firstly must want it, okay? You think to yourself, this is something I want to try, right? Because I think it will be good for me to develop me, mm. you know, develop a new me. It requires a bit of bravery because, mm. yes, stepping back and walking away from something that is so familiar to embrace something new is it in itself, I would say, frightening. But I don't think that should stop you. That shouldn't stop you. But just building on this bravery topic, 
I think it's easy to make career changes, perhaps at the early stage of mm. your career, and even at the end of your career where you don't mind give, taking risk, right? Yeah. But at the middle part, when you're in your 40s, 50s, I think people get very nervous. I was about very it. nervous. I was extremely nervous. Yeah. It's only after, you know, you're 55 when you say, okay, I'll go beyond retirement and do something, or at the early stages where you say, I need to explore the world a bit more. Yeah. But. If any of you are listening and wondering, hmm, could I be on radio? Do I want a career change? Do I like the content of the morning run? It excites me in markets, economics, politics. I want to be heard. Please, we are looking for presenters. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. You can also WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. I promise I'll look at all the CVs. After that marketing spiel, we're heading into a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be discussing a rethink of the way we travel. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. That was Hold On Loosely by 38 Special. You're tuning in to The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. together with Wong Shaoning. And we continue our random but thought-provoking discussions with this article, Shaoning, that you picked uh, on it's the FT. It's not random, excuse me. It is random. They're not but random. But at least it's thought-provoking. They're not random. They kind of call to me. Fine, fine, fine. Okay, anyway, in in any case, if this called to you, tell me about this article you picked, Rethinking the Way We Travel. I think it's a... Actually, you're right. This is definitely not a random article. It was very well thought out and thought yes. through. Simply because of where we are at in this stage of the country, right? With the reopening and everybody beginning to travel. Yeah. Actually, why this article um, was like resonated with me is, like you say, we've all started to dip our toe into the world of travel in, the, in this post-COVID world, right? As yeah. we transition into endemicity. And we should re-look at travel with fresh eyes. Because I think, to be fair, prior to COVID, we we all took it for granted. Like, we would just get on a plane, go on a short holiday every, like, maybe three, four, six, seven, eight months. It wasn't that a problem. You could just, you know, with a click of a few buttons, you could book a ticket anywhere you wanted. Yeah. And it wasn't that expensive because thanks to low-cost travel, right? I mean, sure. low-cost airlines uh, offered a plethora of choices for us. But then we receded into our own little bubbles because of COVID and we stopped traveling. So I think this article reminds me why we should travel again and the joys of it. Mm. Because it's about exploring things and being brave and opening ourselves to new experiences and new encounters with other people. Okay, so this this lady, um, she, she took a little trip to Norway, right? And she described it as being beautiful. There was a lot to see. The scenery was really great. And even then, prior to COVID, uh, she was already a traveller, something that her habit, I think, formed by her, uh, her experiences with her mother because her mother travelled extens- extensively for work. So I think she's, this writer herself is pretty a seasoned uh, yeah. and experienced uh, traveller. It's not new to her. Mm. But what had happened is that she had become a little bit like in her first journey out, a little bit hesitant about new experiences. You get stuck in this rut, right? Where you think, okay, I'll just do A, B, C, D and I don't want to see anybody because it's very leche. La. Then I have to make small talk. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what if the person is an idiot? How do I get rid of her or him? You know, how do I excuse myself? Would it be a waste of my time? And then that door closes in terms of a, a new experience or a new encounter. And she went. She, she decided she was going to try. She wasn't going to be boring. She was going to be experimental. And then she had a lovely day. Well, that change of scenery is what many people call for uh, or the intention of travel. But it is very discomf- discomforting for in the beginning, right? Because you're out of your normal yeah. zone. Especially since you've been stuck in that zone for close to two years in the lockdown. Yes. I mean, the 
what she says is so true, right? Travel shakes us out of our own sense of comfort and familiarity and sometimes can stir in us to consider our lack of awareness of people newly navigating our own hometowns and cities. I couldn't agree more. For me, my first travel trip after the lockdown was to Penang and I saw the most gorgeous sunset there. Mm. And it was something I always took for granted throughout the MCU. I could see my sun. I could see a sunset every day here in Klang Valley. Yeah, but it's do, the same sun. It's the same sun. But going to Penang and looking at it and just being amazed and staring at it for about 30 minutes, right? What an awe-inspiring experience I had. It really shifted something within me to just have a deeper sense of gratitude about all that I've gone through, that I came out of it different but better. Yeah, and I think what uh, this article reminds us, us is that deep down inside, and we probably rewind all the way to 2,000 years ago, all men are generally explorers, right? That's how mm. come, you know, we have, uh, you know, all these great explorers who go around the world, like whether it's the Vikings that explored America or whether it's Columbus. Or changing your career. Or changing your career. Columbus going around to South Africa. Yeah. It's innate in us that we want a new experience, right? But whether we're brave enough to overcome that initial fear. And I think it's also all the considerations we make before we travel. We do a little bit of exploration now on the internet. We try to know about the mm. place, about the people, the culture. All that makes us a richer human being aside from actually just getting there. So it's a pursuit for growth. It's a pursuit for expansion of perspective and ideas. But to get there is not easy. To get there requires us to plan. It takes a certain amount of courage and risk. Yes. And that takes anything we do, right? Uh, meeting new friends, going on a new date, taking a change on career. Changing going, your car. Changing your car, <laughs> whether you decide to go for an EV or not. So all these really are parts of perspectives of growth. Yes. And we must embrace it. We must enjoy it. But also know that they're always. it's never going to be a smooth ride. Of course, nothing is linear. But like travel, what you do is you plan ahead, right? You do a little bit of research. Of, yeah. co of course, some people say, Shaolin, you're just the opposite end. You've got so much OCD in you. You've got a timetable. You know which gate to enter for this, this museum. So the queue is the shortest. What time, how to pre-book tickets. I confess, I do all that, by the way. <laughs> uh, book restaurants. Yeah. That's just my nature. But in that process, I enjoy it, you see. To me, that's how to make a trip better. But I, you, you don't have to take my way. I think so. I think the journey and the preparation is sometimes the highlight, right? I have a friend who's going to Germany in three months. She's already packed her bag. She's packed her She's bag. packed her bag. She's like raring to go. Three months is the countdown, right? But this is, I think, part of what excites us, that we're going to get a new experience. But the pathway to the new experience is also very yes. exciting, equally thrilling as well. And when you're there, embrace the new ideas. Embrace the sometimes the, the little things that come by your way. You know, that little conversation at the museum, when you're standing there looking at that art piece and someone turns to you and say, very nice, huh? Yeah. And you turn back and say, I agree. What do you like about it? And mm. then a conversation starts. And mm. maybe it's just a conversation for one, two minutes. But hey, it does make a difference to your life. As they say, right? It we adds colour and, co and layers. For sure. We are some and product of all of our experiences. We're heading into the 6.30 News Bulletin. And when we come back, we'll be looking at all the latest international headlines. Coming up, Ava Adore by Smashing Pumpkins. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. That was I Melt With You by Modern English. It's 6.40 in the morning, Tuesday the 28th of June. You're listening to The Morning Run with Philip C. and Wong Shaoning. Let's have a look at the stories that made international headlines this morning. Shaoning, what's grabbed your attention? G7. 
And I'm not referring to a particular car or brand of jeans. It's just the G7. <laughs> so these are the group of seven leaders. Uh, they've committed to provide indefinite support to Ukraine for its defence against Russian invasions. And this is according to the text of their draft statement from their very luxurious summit in the Barabian Hills. I'm um, looking actually at the Bloomberg uh, reporting this. So they're going to provide financial, humanitarian, military and diplomatic support and stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. Now, the problem is, it's for as long as it takes because it looks like this war is just grinding on and on and on. And I think, honestly, if you ask me, Russia's tactic is to hope that everyone else forgets it as soon as possible, which is interesting. It's a conversation that you can continue that is relevant, particularly because today's Breakfast Grill we're going to be talking about the war in Ukraine with Dr. Malcolm Davis. He's a senior analyst at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Kusu Chang will be talking to him about the developments of the war. So do tune in. Um, that's happening after the ADM News Bulletin. It's interesting tactic that Russia is considering, which is you want to drag out the war as long as possible until it's kind of itched out of people's memories. And that's why even as they say, even though the G7 has made a commitment to support uh, Ukraine as long as it takes, uh, in, the, in the recording that President President Vladimir Zelensky made to the G7 leaders, he said he hoped that the war would end by end of this year. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where it's contrasting <clears throat> quite clearly, right? I think Russia wants this to drag on, perhaps. Yes. And, you know, make this a bit of a war of attrition and get, get Ukraine... Wear them down, wear them down essentially. So that, I think, is a very different tactic. But what does it take, right, from a defence standpoint to end the war? That's, I think, the big challenge Well, here. Ukraine will say, you know, we would like uh, no-fly zones, better weapons, but... I think uh, the US and the NATO allies are giving that kind of support, but are mindful in terms of the power of the weapons, right? Yeah. They've given certain conditions as to what kind of weapons they will they will utilise or they will be allowed to be used. So do tune in to the Breakfast Grill at 8am. There will be some light on it. But related to the G7 uh, com uh, meeting is this plan. The US has a plan to counter the Belt and Road Initiative, which is a uh, drive by China as a, as a means of improve of increasing its influence around the world. That's called right. That's right. They call it the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment. Uh, they've pledged about six hundred billion US dollars in private and public funds over five years to finance needed infrastructure in developing countries and to counter what we call China's older multi-trillion-dollar Belt and Road project. To be fair, Belt and Road has been going on for a very long time, but it's actually you know died down quite substantially, isn't it? I think since. COVID because everything has gone inward as opposed to outward. Yes. Uh, you know, China is still maintaining this zero COVID policy, making travel uh, difficult. And I think there's been much limited, much, much less, I notice, Chinese engagement with the wider world. Mm. So this is also linked to Sri Lanka, where we've also seen Sri Lanka go through or teetering towards bankruptcy and many debates about whether China is going to help and support Sri Lanka. We've heard that they've been quite uh, reticent to do so. They've not participated in participate in any of these multilateral frameworks to support Sri Lanka. But if you recall, Sri Lanka was a very key component yes. of the Belt and Road Initiative in a very strategic location in terms of the maritime belt per yeah. se. 
Um, the port is one Chinese asset. A lot of the highways in Sri Lanka were built with Chinese money after the end of the war. Uh, even in Malaysia, of course, we had ECRL. Uh, that was one initiative. And I think it extends, when we look at Belt and Road Initiative, it's not just only government. Uh, private Chinese companies mm. also followed in tow, right? For example, you just have to look at the Johor, the number of Chinese developers there that were involved in property. So while in Malaysia, we see you know substantial progress in the ECRL project, I think over the weekend, our Prime Minister did, uh, I think, make an official uh, launch a ceremony with ECRL in place. But really, Really, how does it all connect across the network as more countries go through bigger, deeper financial challenges like in Pakistan, for example, where the Guada port is also very much financed by Chinese money? Now, all these conversations will be continuing and I'm sure we should be keeping track on that. It's 6.45 in the morning and when we come back, we'll be looking at today's local headlines. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. That was Stoned Love by the Supremes. I hope you're not stoned, but fully in love. It's currently 6.50 in the morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. And right now, we're looking at all the latest news in Malaysia. Shouting, I'm sure the first page of the article for most newspapers, for me, caught my eye, the star, an old man holding a picture of old men sitting around a sofa. Okay, what's the significance of this, though? Well, the title too cryptic. You're too cryptic. too cryptic. Well, the title says Tajudin opens fire, saying he does not care if he's kicked out of Amno. Pasik Salak MP Datuk Sri Tajudin Abdurrahman spills the beans on the party's internal matters in an explosive press conference. If you saw it last night, it was definitely a stuff of action movie content. Okay. Confession. I find it hard to keep up. I really, <laughs> really do, right? Um, and this is also reported in the Singapore Straits Times. Well, because mm. our politics is so much more colourful than their politics, naturally. Naturally. So um, the Singapore Straits Times angle comes from, I think, trying to tell us what is the background to it because it is confusing, right? So like you say, is he um, the... Expose is uh, from Tan Sri Tajuddin Abdul Rahman. Now, he's the supposed ambassador designate to Indonesia. Don't forget, that's still pending, right? Now, a backdrop to this is that he was removed from the party's top decision-making collective. Supreme Council. Supreme Council. Very important. These bunch of, uh, I think, almost all men. And he has come out to then say that there's plots to remove AMNO chiefs Ahmad Zahid Hamidi and also there is an AMNO MP's backing for opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim to become Prime Minister. Are you keeping up? <laughs> go on, go on. Okay. And this is after he's speaking less than a week after he was removed from the Supreme Council for not towing the party line. Now, what is what is so important about this is that it could further create rifts in the party, which is already divided into two camps. So in Malaysia, of course, we call it the court cluster and then the minister cluster. So, of course, the camp by Zahir has been pushing for snap polls in the belief that Amno led Barisan will return to power. The other camp, of course, is led by Prime Minister Datusri Ismail Sabri. Uh, he is not the leader of Amno. He's only the third highest ranking leader in that party. And indications are, or at least, you know, um, analysts are saying that he wants to hold the poll next year rather than this year. So let's understand the rift. We understand there are two broader camps, right? Mm. The first camp, they are all currently in government, in cabinet, 
perhaps more aligned to Bersatu, perhaps more aligned with Perikatan National, that yes. whole theme. Uh, they are they are in government and that's where I think Ismail Sabri is in. But he doesn't run UMNO, right? Yeah. And that's in the other camp, which is what you call partly the court cluster. But even the court cluster is also many internal rifts there within yes. Najib Razak and Zahid Hamidi among themselves. And this is where Tajuddin is saying that actually top UMNO leaders were asked to sign SDs, right, to back Anwar as Prime Minister. At the same time, he and said... And this all happened in late 2020. So let's give some timeline today. It's not a recent... It's not uh, a recent thing. Yes. On the same note, he's also said that 130 of the 190 over division chiefs are backing the exit of Zahid, right? And actually Tokmat and Najib are trying to eject him with the backing of division chiefs. So this is also the rift within AMNO that you have perhaps a distinction between the Supreme Council or perhaps what we call the leadership position versus what's happening in the respective divisions. That's a perception about the rift there as well. Yeah. Now, added to this, and I'm not sure when the timeline uh, happened, this is a Malaysia Kini article where Nazri, uh, he's the Padang Ragas MP, and of course, once upon a time, uh, Minister for Tourism. Nazri Abdul Aziz confirmed that he once signed a statutory declaration supporting PKR President Anwar Ibrahim to become Prime Minister. He said he had done so in order to save AMNO from being dissolved by the government at that time. I'm not even sure, is this the same SD that... Uh, that people are alleging the yeah. 130 MP sign or is this an earlier uh, SD? See, I can't <laughs> even keep up. Can't even keep up. We don't even know what is the timelines here. But this is actually the broader philosophical question I have, right? If you've seen the past state elections, Amno Barisan National really seems on course to do very well in the coming elections based on what we've seen in the state elections. So the interesting development I see here is why is this rift happening where you're seeing camps broken up, right? One aligned to PKR, PH, the other one broken up and aligned to Bersatu. Why can't it stand on its own two feet and say, look, I am the big honcho in the town, Mm. in town, and I call the shots. Why is it so rift with division when it can do that? Perhaps is that why it's so rift with division? Because people know it's the winning party, likely. Yes, and everybody knows that whoever leads the party will well, become likely. likely. In, in fact, uh, Dr. Sri Isma Sabri is the first ever Prime Minister that does not hold the number one position within AMNO. Mm. This is a unique time. But of course, let's be honest, the last three years has been a unique time for Malaysian politics to begin with. We've never had so many changes in Prime Minister or government in sh- such a short space of time, right? Yeah. So uh, I think what is indicative is that because there is no party elections and the AMNO constitution was changed to delay party elections, until party elections happen within AMNO, you're probably going to have more and more of such exposés or movements within the party or like factions coming out. Until a general election is called. That's no, the... actually for me, it's not the general election. Sure. It's the AMNO election. AMNO election. AMNO election is moved to end of next year. You have to call a general election latest by September next year. 2023. 2023. The debate is whether an earlier election will call, perhaps to clear the decks. We don't know. They're all so interrelated. And in the meantime, we'll just have to watch this space. But I think we'll definitely cover this story in detail. Uh, maybe some colour in terms of the characters involved, the timeline explained. So do tune in tomorrow. A story that unfortunately will keep on giving. We're heading into the 7am News Bulletin and when we come back, we'll be looking at how markets closed yesterday. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.